This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the newest edition in the Compliance Podcast Network, my latest podcast, Compliance and Coronavirus. As the voice of compliance, I wanted to start a podcast which will help bring both clarity and sanity to the field of compliance, the compliance practitioner, and indeed the compliance profession during this worldwide health and healthcare crisis. Taking up a variety of topics as diverse as working from home to sporting events, to the role of the board of directors, to crisis management, to the role of supply chains. We will look at all of these in this podcast. If you have a topic you'd like covered on compliance and coronavirus, please let me know. I'd be happy to do a podcast on it. In today's episode, I have with me Dr. Kleb Sipkerski. He is a disaster avoidance expert, and we talk about his discipline and how he advises companies in the reopening phase of the coronavirus crisis. It's a fascinating exploration of a topic compliance practitioners need. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today I have with me Dr. Gleb Sikursky. I hope I got that right. I'm not quite sure. Nevertheless, uh, he is a disaster avoidance expert. And I wanted to visit with him about some of the things that, or at least the top three questions he's hearing from his clients about now. One of the things about this podcast series, Compliance and Coronavirus, is the podcast series theme has shifted, obviously, from sort of mid-March, where we were all in lockdown, to the phased reopenings that many states uh, went to. And now, for instance, I'm in Texas, we're having a phased closing again. So uh, with that, what are some of the top questions you're getting from your clients in this area at this point? Well, what I'm seeing is my practice has to do with how do you avoid disasters? That's the focus. That That's my expertise. And I actually published a book on COVID-19 called Resilience, uh, Adapt and Plan for the New Abnormal of the COVID-19 Coronavirus Pandemic, which uh, a lot of my clients have been reading. So they're asking me questions about the book, about my expertise, about how to avoid and address the current problem. The biggest question I see is how do you plan for the long-term future? This is a question a lot of my clients are asking right now. In the book, I talk about how we'll face waves of restrictions and loosenings. And honestly, a number of my clients didn't believe me at first. They thought that, hey, you know, the first restriction will be it, then we won't face any more restrictions right now. But as you said, Tom, right now, Texas, Florida, California, they're all going through closings again. So there, a number of my clients are seeing that I was more right than they thought they were. So they're looking at me and they're saying, hey, so what's going on in the future? What do you want? What should we do? How should we think about the long term? And what I tell them is that they really need to understand that we'll be facing these waves of restrictions and closings. We'll have the first wave. We already saw the first wave where we saw restrictions and that led to a decrease in cases. And that's definitely been there clearly in the numbers. We've had a great decrease from 2,000 deaths per day to around 700, 600 deaths per day in the last couple of months. But of course, right now we're having an increase because of the reopenings. You have more people interacting with each other. So you have more, you have an increase in deaths and a number of states which are the hardest hit, like Texas, Florida, and California are closing right now. And you'll have a number of other states doing that too soon, I predict, in the Arizona and so on. So what you want to be thinking about is how do you successfully survive in that long-term perspective? And you want to be prepared for the long-term because you know a lot of people are thinking, well, we'll have 
you know, vaccine at the end of 2020 or beginning of 2021. Well, I'm sorry, but that is an incredibly, incredibly unrealistic perspective. Because if we do have vaccine, we have, we're going for trials right now of a number of vaccines, and we might have a vaccine starting to show promise by the end of 2020. That's very unlikely. Based on all our previous experience of making a vaccine, it'll most likely one of the first vaccines will not be successful. So we're probably pushing back the timeline of when we get a vaccine into 21, 22, 23, 24. That's if we get unlucky. And then, of course, they'll take a few months, you know, six months to 10 to 12 months to produce and distribute enough vaccine for everyone. So that's what we're facing. That's the reality of the situation. And they need to face this reality of the long term. And that's what I'm talking about. Be prepared for the long term in order to address the the challenges facing the, us in the pandemic. So that's the first question. The second question I'm seeing is, how do I prepare for this, these virtual interactions? I talk in the book and elsewhere about how much more virtual we need to get, really focus much more on virtual interactions. And one of the biggest challenges I'm actually seeing with businesses and virtual interactions is how do you cultivate trust in virtual settings? This is one of the biggest challenges. This is a very serious issue. Trust is... The fundamental flow, the fundamental fuel, the fundamental lubricant that enables business to function effectively. Because if you don't have trust, how can you go forward effectively? Well, trust is built up by people interacting face to face. It's a traditional way of doing business together. You interact face to face, you see each other, you shake each other's hand, you smile. This is especially a big problem for people in sales. So I'm seeing a lot of people in sales, VP of sales, you know, shaking their heads and uh, really struggling with building up trust through virtual interactions. So I'm tutoring them, I'm teaching them techniques to use virtual interactions to build up trust. And there are a number of techniques that we can go into that. But that's the second biggest challenge. Well, that's the second biggest question. How do I build up trust in virtual settings? The third question I'm seeing is how do I change my internal collaboration in virtual settings? Now that clients are increasingly realizing that the reality of the situation is that they'll they'll have closings again. Texas and so on that are closing bars right now and they'll unquestionably close other venues too because COVID-19 is becoming worse and worse. So a lot of my clients are realizing that it's best to pull their operations more virtually than they did before. And they're wondering, how do you run a team effectively in virtual settings? What they're facing, what they're seeing right now that they're moving to virtual settings is that they need to adapt a lot of their existing practices and systems and processes to address virtual interactions, virtual collaboration. They're not used to it. They're uncomfortable with it. And so things like communication. One of the biggest challenges that they're facing is how to communicate effectively in virtual settings. This is not an easy thing. If you're used to office in-office communication, person-to-person communication, you don't realize that once you switch to virtual settings, then you use things like Microsoft Teams or Slack or Trello or the Asana or other collaboration platforms, you are losing a lot in communication because you are only doing textual communication or the majority of the time you're doing textual only. That means you're losing tone of voice, you're losing body language. When I say, I think Michael should take that project, or I say, I think Michael should take that project, those two sentences mean very different things. But when I write them down, they mean the same thing. Uh, so that's the third biggest issue I'm seeing. I'm seeing transition to virtual as the bigger, as one of the biggest challenges. And within that, vir- virtual communication is a really huge issue. 
So within the context of those challenges, uh, how do you help a business leader plan from a disaster recovery perspective? From disaster recovery perspective, what I'm helping them plan is looking at various things that were going to impact their company negatively, but also their external stakeholders. So looking at their company, one of the things that I talk about, I talked about virtual communication is one of the issues that many people don't realize when they're switching. Another thing that they don't realize is how to address various internal controls issues. Internal controls issues have to do with things like finances. You're going to be running finances very differently if you're going to do virtual. So that's one of the major issues. Of course, cybersecurity. A lot of people are getting hacked, unfortunately. So the FBI has been reporting a lot more hacking efforts, successful ones, because when people are at home, they, they're not used to following cybersecurity protocols. That's just the case. They need to be retrained and reprepared. Also, their software and hardware is not nearly as hardened against cybersecurity breaches. And there are a number of other compliance issues that we need to address when you're going. Especially, I, I work a lot with healthcare and finance. And healthcare, there's various laws around that, finance as well, that you need to address when you're switching to more virtual, more of these virtual sorts of collaborations. Then there's the teamwork, motivation, engagement. People are increasingly less motivated when they switch to virtual because when they're in the virtual environment, you know, they're not surrounded by other people who are doing the same things that they are. And this is a big problem for them because they're not feeling that for that motivation, that engagement that comes from other people around us doing the same thing that they are. One in, a related problem that I'm seeing a lot is how do you prepare for mentoring? So mentoring, how do you mentor people in virtual settings? So these are issues that mentoring people in virtual settings is not an easy thing and you need to prepare for it. You need to be trained in this. This is a matter of professional development. So the, as well as communication is a matter of professional development and problem resolution. So these are some of the challenges that you have with internal company things. But of course, external ones are coming up as well that I'm helping folks prepare for. One of the biggest ones that they're not thinking about is how a number of their external stakeholders who are rushing to reopen way too fast right now, not realizing the kind of problems that are associated with reopening and that they will be stumbling as the pandemic goes on because the vaccine won't be, it's not around the corner, unfortunately. So they're going to be stumbling. Their external stakeholders, people like suppliers, some of their prospects and their clients, they're going to be stumbling and they need to protect themselves, my clients, against these their, their external stakeholders stumbling and they're not realizing this is a big issue. And of course, there's the political issue. What kind of stimulus packages are they going to pass? How is the treasurer, how's the, the, the treasury department, how's it distributing all the money from the stimulus? A number of my clients are in those categories that might or might not get money or various sorts of money on various terms. So that's the thing that we're trying to figure out right now. So those are some of the top challenges I'm seeing with businesses as they're going forward in to figure out the recovery. Do you see those challenges changing, morphing, or even being different in Q3 and Q4, or will they be similar to what you've just uh, told us about with an emphasis on uh, perhaps more reopening? 
Well, what I'm seeing in Q3, unfortunately, is not more reopening. Uh, that's more closing. So if you're thinking about Q3, you're getting into the fall. And what we know about the virus, so there are a number of things that we don't know. There are a number of things that we do know. One things we know for pretty sure, uh, for sure, is that it transmits more easily in colder weather, drier weather, and weather that's uh, and uh, indoors. So in Q3, and especially in Q4, we'll have weather that's going to be more cold, weather that's going to be more dry, and we're going to be spending, unfortunately, more time indoors. So I'm preparing them for actually less reopening. This is the reality of the situation. We're going to have less reopening because we're going to be in a more vulnerable situation. So the virus will be spreading more easily. And we need to realize that in Q3 and especially in Q4, we'll face more closings. That is the big danger. They're not realizing that a lot of people are rushing to reopen. They're wasting a lot of money. They're spending money on reopening. They're spending money on cleaning that they don't need to be doing they should be switching to virtual instead and so i'm kind of pulling some of my clients kicking and screaming over this kind of virtual transition that they don't necessarily want to be doing and i understand that you know there's a lot of things that aren't fun about virtual and i'm not finding it pleasant myself but the reality of the situation is if they don't make this transition now they're going to be hemorrhaging money right and left as the situation is going to become worse in q3 and q4 and it is going to become worse in q3 and q4 there's no question about it Dr. Glove, how should a business think through the changes in its risk profile at this point and, and really through the end of the year from the disaster avoidance perspective? Well, one thing it should think about is in terms of insurance. One, This is one of the biggest questions that's not settled right now. What is going to be happening with insurance and are people going to be, are businesses going to be protected from if someone contacts COVID-19 on their premises? The federal government is may or may not pass legislation on this. So what kind of a risk do you want to be taking about whether COVID-19 is going to be, whether you're going to be protected against legal action based on COVID-19? So that's one of, the, one of the bigger ones that I strongly encourage people to think about. Another change in the risk profile is if you're going to virtual, I talked about a number of internal controls that you want to change. You want to be changing your internal controls and finances. You want to be changing your internal controls and cybersecurity. You want to be changing a number of compliance laws that apply to different companies like healthcare, finance, and so on. And one of the things that people don't think about is their measurements of effectiveness and efficiency. Now, a lot of my clients, we have very clear systems and processes of how you measure effectiveness and efficiency because it, you know, what gets measured gets managed, right? So that's a very basic tool. That's a very basic understanding. But it needs to. this needs to be changed, of course, for virtual settings. So if you're going to be doing virtual activities, then the previous numbers and the measurements of effectiveness and efficiency need to be adjusted, need to be fundamentally adjusted, changed. And those are some of the things that, that we are looking at changing. So that in terms of risk profiles, that's kind of internal. External, I mentioned that one of the biggest things that they're not, that a number of companies need to think about is their external stakeholders failing. The failure of their external stakeholders, a lot of companies aren't thinking about this because their external stakeholders, they're used to collaborating with them. But a lot of companies are now moving at a different pace in relation to COVID-19. Your suppliers might not might be rushing to reopen. Other people might be staying more close than you. So you got to realize what's happening with your external stakeholders. What are they doing? How are they perceiving the situation? 
and not necessarily not move in tandem with them, but be prepared to defend yourself from problems resulting from their poor decision-making in many cases. So that's one of the bigger risk profiles that people aren't thinking about. And of course, there's always the unknown unknowns. A lot of people aren't realizing that just because COVID-19 is here doesn't mean that other disasters are not going to happen. Other disasters might well happen, and we already see a number of them happening. They're reinforced in pretty negative ways by COVID-19. So, for example, there are a number of wildfires going on right now in the United States, and it makes it harder to evacuate people and put them in shelter due to COVID-19 because they don't want people to be getting COVID-19 because they're in closed shelters, right? So this makes a bigger problem. So they want to be thinking about those unknown unknowns things that you can't, that it's hard to predict right now, other sorts of disasters, and how they might very negatively combine with COVID-19, which they unfortunately are in some pretty bad situations. Dr. Sapirsky, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted uh, any more information on your practice of disaster avoidance or even any of the resources you've made available around COVID-19, where could they go? Well, they can get my book, Resilience, Adapt and Plan for the New Abnormal of the COVID-19 Coronavirus Pandemic, anywhere in bookstores around them, if they're still open. But if not, you can always get it online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and so on. It's published by a great traditional publisher called Changemakers Books, part of an imprint of John Hunt Publishing, so it's available everywhere, online and in bookstores. Now, for my own resources, you can check out my website called DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com. Again, DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com. There's blogs, videos, webs various uh, sorts of podcasts, decision aids, guides, manuals, my books again, and um, consulting, coaching, and training services. You want to especially check out disasteravoidanceexperts.com forward slash subscribe for a free eight video-based module class on making the wisest decisions. Again, disasteravoidanceexperts.com for a free eight video-based module class on making the wisest decisions. Dr. Sikorsky, um, this has been a fascinating exploration. As we move into Qs 3 and 4, I hope I might be able to call upon you again to uh, garner your advice on where companies may need to be looking at that point in time and perhaps even into the future. I'll be happy to come back, Tom. Thank you so much. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance and Coronavirus. This is the only B2B podcast which brings clear and sane information for both the compliance professional and the business executive. If I could ask you uh, to do one thing, if you could tell one person about this podcast, I'm trying to get the word out uh, about this most unique podcast in the compliance podcast network so if you could tell one person about it send them a copy send them a link do something uh, to help me publicize this podcast i would greatly appreciate it compliance and coronavirus is a production of the compliance podcast network and it appears tuesday wednesday and thursday of each week thanks again for listening and i hope you'll join me again for another episode This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.